0: Welcome to Sound the Gavel, the show that tells you all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petri. Bradley's mother in Arthur School and passed away three months ago. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to Italian social services. If he is ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or understand the language. He will be then taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hochul at 518-474-8390. That's 518-474-8390. And voice your concerns to Governor Hochul to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States. Hashtag keep Bradley safe. I've got a brand new guest on. I have Vanessa Russell on. She is founder and executive director of Love Never fails. This company started December of 2011 to present time, 11 years and 4 months in Dublin, California. Love Never Fails is committed to the restoration, education and protection of young people who are at risk or currently being sexually exploited in California. Since their inception, they have educated thousands on this issue, trained over 100 mentors for positive change, and launched an elementary, middle and high school Abuse Prevention program and located over 100 missing and exploited women and children and provided young people with sustainable jobs in IT, real estate, banking, health care, etc. They are a state-certified cybersecurity pre-apprenticeship program, Cisco networking Academy, Cal Jobs Trainer and Department of Rehab Fender. And I welcome you, Vanessa. How did you get started and <laughs> encompassing
1: all of this? Oh, well, th- thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today, Marianne. Um, I started just simply by deciding to teach inner city kids dance. Um, I was working in the tech world. Um, I myself am a survivor of many things as a child, um, um, just abuse, um, poverty, foster care, and a variety of other challenges Um, growing up and decided that even though, you know, I was uh, had reached this place in my life where I was able to provide for my family and doing really well economically and emotionally, mentally, um, I wanted to give back. I wanted to go back and connect with inner city kids and teach them dance and and um, I thought that's what I would be doing. Well, I guess there were other plans in store for me because one of my 15-year-old dance students, um, unfortunately, was raped in the city of Hayward, California, and sold throughout California for a year. Mm-hmm. In December of 2011, I um, made a probably one of the best decisions of my life, and that was to uh, you know, say yes to starting... Uh, an organization, which I called love never fails. Um, because I uh, really felt very ill-equipped to do anything to uh, respond to the abuse that she was experiencing. But, um, you know, in my time of quietness and my time of prayer, actually, um, Mm -hmm. got, I got a very clear message, which is just, um, all you have to do is love her. And, Mm -hmm. um, And that's, that's enough and it won't fail. And so that's, what's led me to start the organization. And I've been here now almost 12 years. That is really impressive, you know, to get that going. And,
0: um, you know, did, did you find her? Were you able to rescue her?
1: Yes. um, So we were able to, we actually, I came in contact with her multiple times over the course of the next year. Um, and, um, unfortunately she was in and out of foster care homes and, um, you know, picked up by law enforcement and, and would be right back out on the streets within a couple of days because of something that we know is called trauma bonding or Stockholm syndrome, which Mm -hmm. leads people to reconnect with their abusers and, um, especially children. And so, um, after about a year, she was actually taken out of state and that's when things, she was able to stabilize. She was able to, um, uh, understand that her exploiter was not, you know, her, you know, someone who loved her, somebody who uh, was, you know, the only person that was there for her, all those things that coercive, you know, um, manipulative um, people will tell exploited children. Um, she kind of could see through that, and she was able to make some changes in her life thereafter. And so, um I wouldn't say, you know, as a group of us uh, people um, that that kind of helped to help her to stabilize, including um, she actually was adopted by one of our volunteers who was also a survivor. Mm-hmm. And um, and she graduated from high school with honors, and she's doing really well in her life. We're so very proud of her.
0: You know, that's really good to hear. Have you found that when people are have been in foster care, that when they do grow up and even have kids of their own, CPS is at their door bothering them?
1: Well, yes, um, I, I think that there is a vol- vulnerability that we all have. Um, if you know anything about adverse childhood experiences, mm-hmm. um, ACEs, you know, uh, those of us that have very high ACEs have a very high propensity for being system involved in mm-hmm. our lives and also our children are also a very high propensity for getting involved with either foster care or, you know, demonstrating some kind of mental health disorders or, um, differently abled and, or, um, you know, incarceration is mm-hmm. something harsh as incarceration or, um, addictions. I mean, all the markers for having a traumatic life, um, can be oftentimes found in our lineage. And so um, it's generational trauma. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, And when you
0: got involved into cyber security, how did that all
1: play out? How did you get involved in that? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing, right? So my mom actually, um, so when I was growing up, my mom, um, you know, I was in foster care as a baby, but she was able to get me back and she moved us to San Francisco and we survived, um, you know, single mom fleeing from a domestic violence situation with my dad, um, uh, really working hard, working for the phone company and, um, uh, she had very little technical experience, but I, um, she was starting to get interested in things like T ones and T threes, you know, and and some of the technology that the phone company was offering to customers. And sometimes she would talk to me about it, and and um, and she started going to uh, uh, school for um, an information systems management um, course with the University of San Francisco. And um, that was very inspirational to me. I actually ended up taking the same course uh, that she did, um, and later on, and um, and graduating with my bachelor's. It took me about ten years to do that. Um, but uh, so we started to enter into this tech space with absolutely no point of reference, no familial support, and um, just kind of philander through um, the and what I found is that I had a real knack for it. So as Mm -hmm. soon as I entered in uh, within, I'd say two months, I was promoted and I was promoted like every three months to the next level. You know, I was a, came in as a technical analyst. Um, Then a few months later, I was a senior technical analyst. Then I became the manager. Then I was a senior manager. Um, And I just kept climbing the ladder. Um, And this was again at a, a, a telco and, and, um, and then I went into the dot-com world um, right before the bust and was, you know, there you could just have half of a brain and you would just do really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> Not putting myself down, but I did pretty well in the dot-com uh, rise. And um, and I was fortunate enough to kind of move over to local government as an IT manager. Um, so I didn't experience the dot-com bust like, uh, many of us did. Um, so I was able to kind of hold on, which was really important since I was a single mom, I needed to provide for my child. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, the, the, you know, the tech world has been good to me. It has really helped me. I'm a very curious person. Mm-hmm. I'm a very, um, I'm tenacious. Um, I I'm resilient. I'm thick skinned. And, um, I always like to tell my students, um, and I, I, you know, Um, I say this to them because I know what it's like to be in their, their shoes. My IT biz tech Academy students, I say, you know what, um, you've been through the worst of it and you're resilient and you're brilliant own it, you know, believe it, take it into whatever, whatever pathway you go in. And so, um, I have been, I worked in the tech uh, tech world, um, in various positions for 20 some odd years. I think it was 25 Twenty six or so, when I quote unquote retired in two thousand eighteen to do this work full time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, shortly thereafter, um, Merritt College approached me asking me to come on as an adjunct professor to teach cybersecurity mm-hmm. to um, and other classes um, to um, underserved, under resourced community members. And IT Biz Tech Academy um, is really fortified with partners like merit, like Oakland Adult in Career Education, um, like um, uh, CEWS, Google, um, Cisco, they've all poured into our students in such an incredible way. And here we are, um, you know, providing uh, career opportunities through partners like 110 and UPRO and uh, getting people into sustainable, economically sustainable careers Mm -hmm. um, that will provide you know just like we said aces are kind of like spoils the spoils the batch right mm-hmm. my hope is to restore the batch so we can get some of these young people that are that have babies get those babies onto a different pathway so we can have better stronger more fortified communities
0: i think that's is that's wonderful because i always said you know we've got to put these young people back to work we've got to give them some type of purpose yeah and I'm sure you've had students come up and and uh, you know they're probably doing so well, and it's all it's all because of all your hard work in That's the amazing. cyber. Yeah, and with the cybersecurity, do you go into even um, domestic violence shelters and help women
1: that yeah. are? Uh, it's so funny you should ask me that. So so we have uh, Love Never Fails actually has um, seven houses now. Um, We have uh, two houses for women and children um, or women that are single or women that are pregnant. We have one house for girls, uh, house for girls ages 13 to 17. Um, We have three houses for men, uh, two of which are for homeless or trafficked men. One is for men who have been previously incarcerated. And then we have a home for girls that are aging out of the foster care system, 18 to 21 year olds. And um, so we have seven houses total, 47 beds. And the IT Biz Tech Academy is available to all of them. And I will tell you that those who have participated have experienced some tremendous um, success. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so one example is uh, one of our first cohort, we had a young lady named Tish. Um, Tish was trafficked for eight years. Um, Mm -hmm. She was held um, hostage or her her child rather was held hostage until she made her daily quota. um, I'm happy to say she graduated from our first cohort as the valedictorian, and she has gone on to receive a position working at Cisco Systems as a Learning at Cisco um, Lab Engineer, and um, and so she is um, an incredible testament to what the brilliance that uh, many of these people uh, are have. And and I'll just tell you, our Tech Academy we educate about 200 students a year. Um, of those students, um, 86% are Black and Latino, and uh, 72% are women, and which those stats are unheard of in the the tech world. You you don't see those kinds of stats. And so for them to come through and then to have a placement rate of about 60% um, is just, I don't even know what to say. I'm so grateful. And I'm so amazed by these people that have been through so much mm-hmm. and yet they persevere and they, and, and, you know, one thing too, I want to mention a uh, psychology today did an article. They were kind enough to include me in an article. Um, and, um, it was written by Misty Purdue and it, you know, just talked about the, the, kinds of danger that a survivor of human trafficking is susceptible to, or is experiencing, not susceptible to, but actually really experiencing. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, what we talked about is that it makes you a great candidate for a role like in cybersecurity. And people don't always think about that. But when you are on the street being bought, you're looking around, you're checking, you're hypervigilant, you're making sure that you're safe. You're looking at people going, what's your next move going to be? What Now, these are horrible things to say Mm -hmm. that somebody would have to deal with. But guess what? They did. Mm -hmm. And so because they have a mind that thinks like this, it's an interesting thing to say, you know, that skill is actually quite, quite valuable that you have the ability to anticipate the next moves of another person Mm -hmm. and to think about how might I design you know, this this routine, this maybe artificial intelligence routine, or how might I anticipate that someone is going to scam me, take advantage of me, harm me online, digitally, or in person? And so these are things that lend itself to cybersecurity, if you really think about it.
0: And that is really fascinating uh, that you're, I mean, all of the cybersecurity, I don't understand it much. <laughs> you know, I'm not. Uh, yeah. but it's great that people can be trained in this and to in turn help, um, the, the police possibly, or, you know, sure. other entities like that.
1: Yeah. Right now we have an investigator that is uh, helping us to find missing children and she is a survivor of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. She's with, with law enforcement and the FBI and, um, and community partners, and she does it in a trauma informed way. So, um, that's the beauty of when you, when you empower a survivor to, um, be an advocate and also an investigator. Um, they are, you know, there's no judgment in them, you know, nine times out of 10, and they have that compassion and that care and Mm -hmm. they know where to look and they know what the patterns are. And so these, these, um, and then we also have survivor advocates, um, in different cities in the Bay Area that are acting as a liaison between the law, law enforcement and schools and community members, again because they bring a certain essence, a certain certain ability that is really hard to find. And then once they're technically trained, um, and they're they're they are a force to be reckoned with.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I would say with. All that um even though know, it's a horrible experience that it can be turned into something positive and they can give back to society mm-hmm. and you know, that creates good self esteem and that's what these people need, especially um when you mentioned the um uh, the one home with men that are had been incarcerated,
1: mhm, yeah
0: you know, do they have a lot to offer as far as cybersecurity?
1: I'm sure they must. You know, that one's a little bit tough because most cybersecurity houses are not going to hire someone that has a record. And so um, so the kinds of security that they may be involved in is maybe physical security, um, surveillance of a physical um, uh, layout. Um, and, and it depends on whether the thing that you're securing digitally is monetary, what kind of crime someone did um, that, you know, caused them to, um, you know, be incarcerated. So some of that varies, but there are lots of um, second chance or, and, Mm -hmm. and, and and fair choice um, employment opportunities and employers that are starting to um, come forth. Mm -hmm. And um, we're working with, you know, agencies like Checker, that um, really are leading the way and opening the doors for previously incarcerated people to have access to these economically sustainable jobs, like a cybersecurity position. Mm -hmm. Um, We find that small business entrepreneurship is probably the best um, solution in some of these instances because we're not just teaching people about cybersecurity. We're teaching them how to either become sales reps or how to do customer service or project management, specifically agile scrum masters, or, um, or small business entrepreneurship, where they might have a mom and pop um, you know, computer uh, repair um, business, which can be very lucrative mm-hmm. and again, um, more accessible to someone who has a record. That's...
0: I'm just so glad you're doing this to help these people that have gone through human trafficking. And I'm sure you've heard stories of how they've even gotten into that. And have you found that sometimes their families
1: get them into this? Oh, yes. Very frequently. You'd be surprised. I, um I have to say that's an area there's a term in the, ta- in the, uh, so I'm a clinical person. I'm actually in the process of pursuing my doctorate in, in psychology. And, uh, and so, you know, there's a term that's called countertransference, right. Or, or mm-hmm. transference rather. And uh, I find that I have such a hard time. I'm a mommy and I'm like mama bear right. hardcore. And when I hear about people selling their children, Oh, it's so hard. So I have to kind of, I have someone, I have a, Uh, my my one of my uh, colleagues who I just love my sister um, Jen who helps me in this area because I have such a hard time with this scenario which is Mm -hmm. so prevalent, where a parent becomes so desperate in their addiction or in their abuse or in their trauma where they actually sell their child and some parents uh, have very malicious intent but many of them do not Mm -hmm. and um and it's just—it's so hard for me to stomach because I—I I, yeah. just—I love my babies so much, and even the ones that aren't my babies, I still call them my babies. Mm-hmm. All the people in the program, I think they're my kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I take it very seriously when I hear that. Um, you know, I've—I've I've had a, a a young man who was sold for drugs and by his mother to boyfriends and kept in a cage. Um, I've had women that have been sold by their mothers. Um, I've had, you know, pe- people sold because they thought they were giving their children a better life. Sold and, you know, given over to coyotes who brought them into the U S for a quote unquote better life, maybe because they were just, they just had nothing, you know, no, no finances to offer them in their country and, um, and only to be brought here to, you know, be trafficked unfortunately.
0: Oh, yeah, that that's sad. Um the ones do you find these parents are they I don't know, dealt with
1: legally? Usually not. I haven't seen any of them dealt with legally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not one. I've never seen a parent held accountable for the harm. And I have mixed feelings about that. Um You know, I, I, I think that there should be some accountability Mm -hmm. and um, I know your show is called slamming the gavel. (laughs) Boy, boy, do I want to slam the gavel? That's where I'm like, Jay, help help me, help me, help me be empathetic. Help me be kind and and think about their personal, but you know, what you find oftentimes is this is generational again, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, my mom sold me and now I'm selling you. And this is what we do to get by. This is how we survive. And so I have to remind myself that I got to look at the bigger system here. And I have to say, what systems of oppression are in place that are keeping certain people in the positions that they've always been, Mm -hmm. not allowing them to operate in newfound freedom and not empowering them Mm -hmm. to find their purpose and their essence, their Their thing that they are, you know, called to do, that they are, that they are, that they get joy from. Um, And we all have it, but how many times do we really ask people even that question, even when they're in school? Does anybody ever ask a student, like, what do you really want to do? partner with you on that. A lot of people don't have families that are doing that. Mm -hmm. Just like, please graduate from high school and get, you know, your basic job, working at a basic, I don't know, retail and barely survive. And it's like, why is that why is that kind of the status quo why aren't there more why isn't there more being done to reach especially the underserved and under-resourced and ask them what is your joy what is your purpose you mm-hmm. know what are the plans um in that you'd like me to undergird with my time my effort my mentoring whatever it may be
0: now do you go to the schools and talk to um students and you know, have you ever found any students that are being trafficked and
1: and no one knows it? Oh yeah, they disclose during the classes. I had a young person just uh, just last week, and I actually need to call and speak with him. Um, he was about ten years old, and he said, raised his hand up in in my uh, in, while I was speaking, and he says, "What if the people that are closest to you are the ones that you need to get away from?" Mm. He said that in my class and I said okay let's talk afterwards and he had to leave early so um I'm gonna I I was able to get his contact information so I can find out what exactly did you mean by that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, but I we've had people that tell us that someone's grooming them online Mm -hmm. people tell us that there one one story in particular happened at a school that I was teaching at a few years back and uh The daughter was being molested by the mom's husband and she, it was a high school and she shared it with me and we made, uh, she said something bad is going on and um, we made a report and he was arrested and he was removed from the home. And the reason she hadn't made the report is because she knew that her mom would have a very hard financial time providing for the home without him there. So she said, I'll just take one for the team and um, never reported it or, and it was going on for a long while. But of course the mom was so supportive. Now I've also seen instances where the mom says, you took my boyfriend. The mom doesn't believe the mom Mm -hmm. is just not supportive. Which is a whole nother level of pain for that child, right? And then I've seen instances where the mom actually was an accomplice. And uh, it was, you know, one instance, sad to say, um, uh, you know, uh, we had a a beautiful little eight-year-old daughter, um, uh, community daughter, I call her, Mm -hmm. uh, Sophia Mason, who was um, killed by uh, her mother and her mother's exploiter. And uh, this happened last year Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and um, yeah, she was murdered and uh, that trial is underway. Of course, you know, um, I can say she was murdered because I'm pretty confident of that, Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's still in the court of law, but it's, these things need to be, uh, we've actually been hoping to start a, a law called the S.O.S. Um, law in, in Sophia Mason's name, um, because more needs to be done to actually train um, uh, workers and law enforcement about how to deal with exploited people when um, they have children. And it doesn't mean that you criminalize them and take their children away automatically. That's mm-hmm. not right either, but mm-hmm. you need to know how to do well checks and you mm-hmm. need to what you're looking for and you need to hopefully this is the hope provide services mm-hmm. to that that exploited mother um so that that child is not being molested not being killed like mm-hmm. sophia yeah that's tragic uh, so are you, are
0: you going to educate cps and get them oh. Yeah, they're removing kids at an alarming rate Yeah. and they're ending up in foster care where they are being trafficked. It's from the fry, frying pan to the
1: fire. Right. Yeah. So what we have done is we've opened a house, which is a foster care diversion program. Mm-hmm. It's a house for girls ages 13 to 17. We only have four beds, uh, very small. But um, the idea here is think about this. um, Some people don't know that this is how it works, right? So a child runs away. Um, There are very lax laws and rules on running away nowadays. Mm -hmm. So child runs away, you can barely get anyone to come out, uh, law enforcement to come out. You can barely get a flyer put together. Um, All of that is supposed to happen within a very short period of time. And um, and then a, a a report is supposed to be filed with the National Missing um, uh, and Exploited Children with NICMIC, and um, and and many times none of that is happening. But child runs away, and they think oh just a runaway, you know, um, and they're with their boyfriend, and they they're getting high, and you know whatever judgments we put on people, so they run away. Um, when they come back, and after they've been exploited which it sounds tidied up exploited Mm -hmm. or you know pimped whatever Mm -hmm. prostituted and we don't usually use the word prostitute when we're talking about kids because they can't legally consent to sex so they can't be prostitutes right Mm -hmm. so they're victims of rape or whatever you you know rape and whatever else that's been done to them but they're gone for the whole weekend well that probably means that they've had sex Mm -hmm. and been raped by upwards of forty people over the weekend. They come back to their home, and the the flyer says found safe, found mm-hmm. safe on Monday, and they get sent back to their parents' home after they've been used all mm-hmm. weekend long, with no counseling, no services, no nothing. And this happens, and oftentimes exploiters will start. They'll start off slow. they'll They'll let you get come home a little bit. And they'll, you know, it'll just be a weekend thing. And you'll be thinking it's part of you being their girlfriend. That's called Romeo pimping. And you, oh yeah, you know, I'm going out to party Mm -hmm. and it starts, you start to get indoctrinated. And then before, you know, you don't come home at all. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of the progression. So our hope is to interrupt that so that the first time that they're being exploited, they can come into our home and they can find some healing and their parents can find some healing. Their parents can get counseling while the child is get counseling. The, par- the child is getting art therapy. The child is getting case management. They're getting um, a loving environment that allows the parent to get some perspective because their parent is also traumatized. Their child just went through this. Mm-hmm. And so we've been having more discussions about early intervention, diversion programs. Foster care is just not working. We know mm-hmm. that, especially... Foster care, the combination of foster care and human trafficking not working because the level of um, trauma is so intense and the level of a trauma bond with the exploiter is is just insurmountable when you let it go that long. And basically they have to go through that just so you know, at least in California, they got to go through that revolving door of having being an exploited or runaway go get exploited week, a couple of weeks, come back. They got to go through that at least five times, maybe more like 10 before they will um, be considered for a foster care home. So imagine that parent is trying to figure out how to serve that child for upwards of one year, seeing their child get thrashed and raped and beaten and become drug addicted and all these different things until they are placed in foster care. The parents, they're overwhelmed. They will put their hands up going, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything to help my child. They go into foster care, foster care. They don't have any emotional feelings about it. It's like, "Hey, you got a bed, you got food, you want to leave. That's on you. The bed will be here when you get back. And so then they go out, they go do their business. A lot of them are in foster care, actively being exploited. And there's no, there's no love. I I shouldn't say that because there's a lot, I know a lot of loving foster parents, Mm -hmm. but it's oftentimes not the anchor in that home. It is a, you know, a system offering, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, and it's not enough to sustain somebody to keep them in the bed so much more is required
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and these kids that they just keep continuously running away you know then they disappear and then uh, they're never found again
1: many times
0: mm-hmm.
1: they they're not found they are you know uh, there was a story recently and this wasn't of a foster child because she was already 19 but uh, she uh, I just came across an article um, there was a exploiter who was one of running one of the largest rings in Danville um California for 13 years and he had um, recruited this girl um in Livermore California and she was 19 and um you know on the promise of a makeup a professional makeup, Uh, business where she would be going around with famous people and doing their makeup for them. And she had been scouted by um, uh, two people that seemed to be legitimate business people. They gave her a business contract. Anyway, she ended up getting um, pulled into exploitation and she was trafficked locally. And they finally decided um, we're going to send you to Japan because she was, she was a white girl with blonde hair. They said, you're gonna make a killing, and you're not coming back. So they're gonna put her on a plane to Japan, and she was never gonna be seen again. And the day before that happened, she managed to get away, and um, and you know, reported that what was going on. She was in New York at the time, and she reported what was going on, and that was when the first charges were brought against the exploiter. And then later that uh, that prompted an, a, a complete investigation of him. And later, a huge uh, 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 pace was built against him, which uh, landed him with—I want to say—he got 157 years for exploiting, um, you know, a bunch of bunch of women and children over a 13 period, 13 year period. So, anyway, all of that to say, these are um, very organized operations, and there are people that are being sent out of the country to be trafficked and there are people that are being sent to live, it, to be sex slaves to people, you you wouldn't, you know, you'd like, no, like, no, in dungeons, mm. dungeons, literally um, in cages. Now these are extreme. These aren't the norm, but I've seen both of those situations my, with my own eyes mm-hmm. uh, talk to the, the people. Uh, most of the people, however... Are really dealing with psychological manipulation and coercion that preys upon someone's personal vulnerabilities, where they want, you know, Maslow's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They want food, they want housing, they want love. And mostly they want love.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the course of control, that's a very uh scary cycle to break. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's huge. It's, it's really, really hard to break that trauma bond. Um, I have found the only way to break it is, um, to be consistently, uh, counter. So your love is there. And then through prayer, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're offering your love, you're praying over, um, that person constantly and um and then and then you are encouraging them to become go through what's called the stages of change where they are um they're they're learning they're becoming contemplative they're mm-hmm. learning that this person didn't really love me
0: mm-hmm.
1: and when they start to feel your love and they you know and then you're praying for them and they start feeling god's love then just like this is a counterfeit love. This love over here, it beats me. It uses me for its purpose. It, um, it tells me that I I'm only loved when I get get when I say yes, when I agree, when I'm compliant. This is not a real love. This is a counterfeit love. Whereas this one over here, I just cussed the house manager out, and she's still like, "Honey, now you know, come on, you know, let's get back on track." And that she's still here and I'm yelling at her and I'm saying no, and I'm not willing to do this and I'm not doing that. She's still here.
0: Mm-hmm. Huh. Must be love. And that's what, that's what the ticket is. I mean, they just, I'm sure that's very difficult.
1: Very. You know,
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm sure that takes years to overcome. And, you know, I'm sure you have them working with psychologists as
1: well. Oh, yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapist, trauma therapist, um, doing all kinds of art therapy, somatic therapy, exercise, nutrition. Um, we have someone coming in um, and doing a relationship class with them. We have a domestic violence counselor who comes in. We, I mean, it's a very rich, we do life coaching. And then also the other piece that's so powerful is when you begin to Um, cast vision for their future. That's another piece, you know, it's like um, you're going to deal initially in our first phase of the program. You're dealing with your current hurts and your pain, Mm -hmm. but then as you progress and you start feeling more healed, it's like, what's my life about? Who am I? And so that's where it's taking that time to go. Okay. Seems like you're a little more stabilized now. Mm -hmm. Let's start talking about what you like to do. And, you know, the person who comes in the door, the first day they come in, they don't know what they like to do. You ask them, what do you like to do? They were never even allowed to tell you what they like to do or what color they liked or what food they liked. If you ever watch somebody who's a survivor of human trafficking or domestic violence, when they first come out, they literally will look, look around. Mm-hmm. They're looking for cues. Somebody tell me what I like. Somebody tell me what to eat. Somebody tell me where to go the mind control that has been over them. But if you catch them six months stabilized, they have they have wants, they have desires, they have hopes. And that's where we hope to be uh, partnering with them to help them achieve that.
0: That's excellent. That's excellent. I used to work on a psych unit and I won't keep you too much longer. Yeah, no worries. There was a 17 year old girl there and she She said, oh, just can you take me home? Can you adopt me? And I said, I don't think they'll let me, you know, because, you know, I just don't think they'll let me. She says, I don't know why I'm here in this world. And I said, you're here in this world to make the world a better place. Yes. And she kind of like contemplated. she kind of cocked her head and contemplated that and kind of just slid down the nurse's station and down the hall. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I think they need to be told that, you know, you're here to make the world a better place. I, yes, that's what we're all doing. And yes. you're doing a fabulous, fantastic job. Oh, so you. impressed with with your love never fails. Oh. if anyone has any questions,
1: how can they reach you? Um, so you can go to our website, which is com. We're also on Facebook, the, it's Facebook fan page. We're on LinkedIn, Love Never Fails Us, Instagram, Love Never Fails Us, and Twitter, Love Never Fails Five. Uh, you can also reach us um, uh, on our um, 800 number if you'd like, if you have someone that needs services right away. Um, and you can give us a call there at 844 249 2698. And um, then you can also email me and uh, my email address is Vanessa, V-A-N-E-S-S-A at love fails, us, dot com. Thank you so much for
0: coming on. And I'd like to have you back on for some yeah, updates. I would love that. that Thank you, Marianne. I've Thanks. learned so much. So. um <laughs> Uh, Don't jump off. Slam the gals, a podcast, help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petri, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Vanessa Russell in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you.